Hi everyone, Anna here, dropping in to let you know that this episode includes content related to interpersonal violence that may be disturbing to some listeners. Take good care. Hi everybody, I'm Dustin. I'm Anna, and we are not qualified to investigate the paranormal, but we might be more qualified than... A jury of your peers. Dun dun. <laughs> I kept trying to think of the sound from Law & Order. <laughs> Dun dun. Dun, yeah. dun 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 the gavel. Hi everybody, welcome back. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome in. Tuning in, streaming in, listening in. Listening. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done trying to not be an old man about this. Thank you everybody for listening in. We've got a great one for you tonight, today, but I do just want to do some house cleaning real quick. We have noticed that uh, we have quite a few listeners from all over the world. Yay. And we would love to hear from all of you. A lot of our a lot of our stories are uh, U.S. centric, and we'd love to do some stories that are not that are from around the world. We've mentioned the U.K. We mentioned Australia a couple of times, but if you're listening in from someplace other than the United States, uh, and I know that you are out there, because every time you download something, we see who you. No, we don't know who you are, but we do. So we do have some demographics. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Stories at paranormaloutsiders.com. Please send us an email. Check us out on Twitter. I will put our Twitter tag. I think that's what it's called Handle? on Twitter. Handle? I don't know what it's called. It doesn't matter. Twitter's for... Twitter is for some other people, but it's a great way to keep in contact, and we'd love to hear from you on Twitter as well. But anyway, the story that we're telling tonight, this is possibly the longest story we've told. It's definitely the oldest story we've told. And I don't know if you noticed, Anna, but I have a lowball glass. You sure do. Full of whiskey. Oh, boy. In front of me. And I have not taken one sip out of it yet. Is that a challenge? I don't think it's a challenge. I think it's... An invitation. <laughs> an incentive. For me. No, I think for me, okay. um, this story is very long. I've broken it up into four separate parts. I, I say it's really long. I'm going to get done reading it, and then we're going to look back, and it's going to be like three minutes of me telling it. <laughs> That's going to be it. I do want to... I do need a little bit of it to get me into some characters that we're going to be playing. Uh, I'm sorry, that I'm going to be playing. I'm saying we, like <laughs> the like, royal we. Improv? Yeah, we've got, we got improv going on. The royal we are going to be playing. Um and I have to switch back and forth a little bit, but I, I think the whiskey's going to help with it. And then afterwards, I'm just going to need it. <laughs> this sounds like it's entertainment coming my way. This is some entertainment coming your way. Again, the oldest story, the longest story, and the story that I will need some whiskey for. No, no response. Okay. Just, oh, okay. Uh, you, okay. You, I'm not going to critique your method or your technique. You oh, do I, your thing. Uh, you can comment on it. You don't have to. You don't have to necessarily like say something negative or critique it, but <laughs> I'm ready. You could just be like, "Good, I'm ready." Okay, and I'm ready to tell the story. Tell me a long story. This first part is called the beginning. In the small town of Greenbrier, West Virginia, lived a young woman named Elizabeth Zona Hester. By the way, there are lots of really long names in here, especially the name of the male person in the story. I'm just going to call them by their nicknames. So uh, from now on, Elizabeth Zona Hester is Zona. Is that what her nickname or you made it up? That's No, that's her nickname. Okay. I'm not making nicknames like, up for people. In <laughs> 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 my last story, I just they were completely fabricated names in the story. So. Okay. Well, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I've done that in other stories, but not for this one, because I think it's so old, I don't feel so bad. Sounds more historical, what you're about to tell me. Yeah. 
Despite being somewhat of an oddity of the times, Zona was known for her kind heart and resilience. She was beloved by all who knew her. The townspeople often spoke of her warm, radiant smile that seemed to bring light to even the darkest of days. In the autumn of 1896, Zona met a handsome blacksmith named Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. Nope, I didn't make that up, and from now on he's Trout, because I... Erasmus? E-R-A-S-M-U-S. Stribbling? St I think I'm pronouncing that right. S-T-R-I-B-B-L-I-N-G. Right? <laughs> that sounds right. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry, Erasmus, for laughing at your name. Well, don't apologize to him. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Speaking of which, I'm going to take a sip of whiskey real quick. Erasmus Stribbling Trout Chew. See, that's why I needed the whiskey. Who had recently moved to Greenbrier and worked as a blacksmith. The two fell deeply in love, and despite Zona's mother's reservations, they were married within a few months. Their life together appeared to be picture perfect, filled with love and happiness. However, the joy would not last. One morning, Trout needed help with his farm chores and sought the assistance of young Andy Jones. Trout walked the short distance to their neighbor's house and knocked on the Jones's door. Mrs. Jones answered. Good morning, Mr. Shoe. What brings you here? Good morning, Miss Jones. I was wondering if Andy could help me with some chores today. I have urgent business and won't be able to tend my farm, Trout replied. Certainly, Mr. Shoe. Andy will be happy to help, Miss Jones agreed. Before leaving, Trout instructed Andy, first check on my wife, Zona, and then you can proceed with the farm chores. I just feel like I'm there. You just got me. <laughs> the whiskey. I told you the whiskey was going to help. <laughs> Andy nodded. Yes, sir. I'll make sure everything's in order. I'm trying to do a West Virginia accent. I don't know how well I'm doing. West Virginians, I apologize. Please don't. Uh, it was in the late 1800s, so who knows? everybody probably sounded like that. As Andy approached the house, he could sense that something was amiss. The quiet and stillness that surrounded the home sent a shiver down his spine. As he entered, he found Zona's lifeless body lying at the foot of the stairs. In shock, Andy ran back to his own home and told his mother what he had discovered. The news spread rapidly throughout the town, and the community reeled from the sudden and unexplained death of the young woman they had come to love. Who found the body? Sorry, repeat just that last one. Andy, the neighbor boy who okay. was going to do the chores. Thank you. Thank you. Simple name. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah not Andy Stribbling Erasmus <laughs> Fishman <laughs> Fishman Duder. As word spread throughout the town, members of the community began to show up to see if there was anything they could do, as well as to view the spectacle. Trout got to the house first and was displaying some peculiar behavior. He refused to let anyone near Zona's body, guarding it closely. Trout went so far as to dress the body himself, placing a high-necked dress with a stiff collar around the neck and wrapping a veil around her face. He even placed a pillow on one side of her head and rolled up sheet on the other, claiming it would help her rest more comfortably. Sounds kind of like a man in the morning, right? Dr. Knapp arrived to examine Zona's body. He doesn't have a first name? Uh, he does. Oh. Just, <laughs> we're getting full names here. <laughs> Dr. Knapp arrived to examine Zona's body, but Trout's constant interference and strange behavior prevented a thorough investigation. Eventually, Trout let the doctor conduct a brief and somewhat cursory examination of Zona's body and concurred with Trout's account, declaring her death an accident caused by everlasting faint. The townspeople mourned Zona's tragic end, but her mother, Mary Jane Hester, could not shake the feeling that her daughter's death was anything but accidental. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the first part of the story. Thoughts? How old was Zona? I think she was like 22, 23. 
She was young, and, and I, I said she was somewhat of an oddity. Uh, she, I think she had a child already. Okay. But it's weird. Like, you look up different versions of the story. Some versions mention that. Some versions don't. I it's hard to confirm. I, you know, didn't do an ancestry look okay, on these people. So, like, 1890s, it's hard to find, like, that real... Like, I don't think it would be super unusual to have a child at that age if you were married. Right. Was she, a child out of wedlock would be right. scandalous. I do have some direct quotes in here um, that I think they pulled from court records, but mm -hmm. we'll we'll get into that because okay. we haven't even mentioned the court. That's it. That's it for that. For, and it's fine if that's, you know, you don't have to say anything because you don't quite know what's going to happen next. But I um, mean, you know, the only thing I'm wondering is how unusual is the man's behavior? If they used right. they, they were dating or we don't know. They were married. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they had gotten married. Mm -hmm. Okay. Courting would have been the. Yeah. Um. So, and the doctor's first, uh, what's the word? Diagnosis? Is that, is that like a ca cause of death? Is that a diagnosis? Everlasting faint? Oh, oh yeah. We need to go. Oh, do you want to talk about that? I do. <laughs> that was my next question. I think everlasting faint is a heart attack from what I've been able to read. Mm. Yeah. I'm not a medical historian by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I've, I've never heard of that. And mm -hmm. and eventually, I don't, I don't remember if I mentioned this or not in the story. I think I do. Eventually, the doctor changes his story to she was pregnant and complications of pregnancy and she fell down the stairs. The doctor changed his story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The doctor changes... Again, I don't know if it's called, what is it called? Prognosis? The person's dead. I don't know what it's called. Oh, oh, cause of death. Cause of death. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the per yeah I asked that. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you. <laughs> that's what I was asking. I thought you were saying, was that a real, like a real cause of death? Not what's the term? No. Cause of death. <laughs> no, I know everlasting fame. I had to, I had to research that because I had no idea what the yeah. hell it was. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's like a coma or something like that. It's, I don't know. It was, I think it was just a catch off or like, ah, she fell. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like, but I think if you even had like an aneur aneurysm, like they would be like, oh, it's the everlasting fate. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still doing my, uh, my Southern accent for stuff like that. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'd like it. <laughs> but I, and I am, I, I just took another sip because we're about to go into the second part of the story. Mm -hmm. And this part is titled The Lawyer. The Lawyer. Are you ready to hear the story of The Lawyer? Part two, the lawyer. Weeks after Zona's funeral, the winter air was bitterly cold and the snow crunched under foot of Mary Jane Hester as she made her way to the office of a local lawyer, John Alfred Preston. She had an appointment to discuss the recent mysterious death of her daughter. Dada. I'm already doing it. Of her daughter, Elva Zona Hester Shue, better known as Zona. Zona had been found dead in her home, and the local doctor, Dr. George W. Knapp, I did have it in here, okay. had quickly ruled her death to be caused by everlasting faint, or childbirth complications, despite not conducting a thorough examination. As Mary Jane entered the lawyer's office, her face was drawn and pale. She had lost weight since Zona's death, and her once sparkling eyes were now filled with a sorrowful, haunted look. Mr. Preston, she began, I need your help. I believe my daughter was murdered by her husband, Trout Stribblin Shoe. <laughs> he did. I'm assuming he didn't laugh at her. No. <laughs> murdered by I who? I didn't even finish the sentence. <laughs> and I need to prove it. So she has to prove it. Okay. <laughs> Preston, a man of medium build with dark hair and a neatly trimmed mustache, looked at her skeptically. Mrs. Hester, he replied. I understand your grief, but Dr. Knapp has already declared her death to be of natural causes. She was pregnant and not well. What makes you believe she was murdered? Mary Jane hesitated, unsure of how her story would be received, but she knew she had to tell it. 
Foul weeks ago after Zelna's death, her spirit came to me. She visited me on As Mary Jane told her story, Preston's mind was transported into it. The walls of his office faded away and he found himself able to imagine the place and setting of Mary Jane's tale. And now we're on to the third part. Mm-hmm. So now we know that we're going to hear the story. Mm-hmm. I just want to know more. Okay. <laughs> I want to know okay. Mary Jane's no, story. Yeah. So our third part here is called The Ghost. As days turned into weeks after Zona's death, Mary struggled to come to terms with her loss, feeling as if a piece of her heart had been torn away. Little did she know that her life was about to take an unexpected and eerie turn. One night, Mary Jane was lying in bed, unable to find sleep. The room was dark, save for the faint moonlight filtering through the window. Suddenly she felt a presence in the room, a strange energy that made the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, she saw a figure standing at the foot of her bed. The ghostly apparition was Zona, her daughter, with a sorrowful expression on her face. Zona stared silently at her mother. Zona? Mary asked slowly. Zona didn't answer. She just stared at her mother without saying a word. Mary was frozen with fear. As she was just getting up the courage to call out for her daughter once again, Zona's head began to move, but not in a normal fashion. Her head slowly began to turn without stopping. As her head turned around completely on her body, her face began to come into view again. Zona made a blood-curdling scream as her neck snapped and her head hung at a 90-degree angle. Mary Jane was so overwhelmed that she fainted and fell into a dreamless sleep. Wow. When Mary Jane awoke the next morning, she wasn't quite sure how to take this experience. Was it all a dream? She decided to let it go for now and go about her day as best she could. As the second night approached, Mary Jane tried to put the previous night's experience behind her and prepared for bed, but she soon found it difficult to sleep and Zora returned. But this time, the specter began to speak. Mother, I have come to you with the truth. I need your help. Mary Jane, in shock, responded. Zona, my child, is it truly you? How can this be? Yes, mother, I must tell you what happened. Zona showed her mother the marks on her neck, a testament to the brutality she had suffered. Zora, I missed you so. I'm so sorry this happened, but what can I do? It was Trout, mama. Trout did this. This time, Zona started to fade away. Help me, mama, she cried as she went from translucent to nothingness. Mary Jane vowed to do everything she could to catch this bastard and bring him to justice. But she needed something more, hard evidence to bring to the lawyer. During the third visit, Zona provided more details about her murder and how Trout manipulated the doctor. She revealed the extent of Trout's deception in hiding his crime. Mary Jane, heartbroken and furious, promised her daughter that she would not let Trout get away with his actions. On the final night, as Zona's spirit began to fade, she made a last plea to her mother. She told her mother that she was the only one she could communicate with, as her attempts to reach out to others have failed. Mary Jane assured Zona that she would not rest until Trout was held accountable for his heinous crimes. With a final expression of love, Zona's spirit vanished, leaving Mary Jane with a renewed sense of purpose. Back at the lawyer's office, Mary had finished telling her account of the past four nights and looked up at Preston. The lawyer raised his eyebrows but said nothing. Mary Jane continued, I know it sounds unbelievable, but I swear it's the truth. I need your help to help me reopen this investigation into Zona's death. We must find justice for her. Preston leaned back in his chair, considering her story. He was a rational man and not prone to believing in ghosts or the supernatural. Yet there was something in Mary Jane's eyes a deep conviction that made him wonder if there could be any truth to her tale. He made a decision. Mrs. Hester, I cannot promise that I will be able to prove your daughter was murdered, but I will look into the case and see what can be done. Mary Jane's eyes welled up with tears of gratitude. Thank you, Mr. Preston, that's all I ask. With the lawyer's help, 
they petitioned the local prosecutor to exhume Zona's body and perform a full autopsy. The results of the autopsy were shocking. Zona's neck had indeed been broken, but there were also clear signs of strangulation. The evidence was overwhelming, and Trout was arrested and charged with the murder of his wife. Mm. Wow. The story's not over yet. I Yeah, I, <laughs> so I think I have heard about this story before. You're, you're doing it much more compelling job telling it than the way that I heard it before. There's lots of different accounts of it. And <clears throat> yeah. And like I said, this is 1890, so there were records. Yeah. But they're not great. And plus like, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and mm-hmm. all kinds of things that happen in the South that cause records to go missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. there there still are direct quotes. The case that's about to happen, so obviously this goes to trial. Yeah. Is unprecedented. Yeah. And the, and since. And since. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into <laughs> but that. you go we'll into, into that. that. But yeah. up to this point. I don't think I, I hadn't heard the or remembered the detail of Mary Jane's first night seeing her daughter and her neck breaking. That's really, really <laughs> disturbing. Yeah, I editorialized that one a bit. But oh. no, but I think that from what I understand, like her neck was moving in kind of a weird fashion and that's kind of how Mary Jane knew that like her neck had been broken. Uh I'm not you know what I, I some accounts say that the ghost talked, some accounts say that the ghost didn't talk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's weird. It's yeah. it's very it's very wishy washy. I I just haven't you know I I didn't wasn't able to go to the courthouse to look up the records what? in Greenbrier. Maybe maybe some other time. Yeah. But but yeah, with what I was able to find, and I'll I'll put my sources in the show notes and and make sure that everybody has their uh, you know can do their own investigation into this and and kind of see. It's a very very interesting tale and eventually case, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about next. But yeah. it, but before we do, mm-hmm. anything else? Well, a couple of things come to my mind. So yeah. The visions of loved ones who recently passed are very, very common. Really? Yeah, cross-culturally. Okay. Yeah. Part yeah. of the grief process or we don't know? We don't or... know okay. I, that I, as far as I know, I, I am more familiar with like supporting people through bereavement and grief and loss than like the phenomenon of it. So I believe talk to people through like normalizing it and i haven't worked with anyone who's like is questioning whether that was real or not like that's not really the focus of our time together it's more on like making meaning out of it and and moving through all the other parts of grief and loss yeah i mean this is this is the great question that is unanswerable by science what happens after we die so ooh, that's a lot to go into yeah as far as the nature of these, I'll use the term visions, but I don't mean to like, you know, undermine the perceived reality of these things because again, science can't answer the question of whether ghosts are real or that the spirits of our loved ones can remain. We don't. Isn't we, that what we're yeah. doing here right now? <laughs> well, okay. So again, from a clinical psychology perspective, our my job isn't to question that or, or like focus on, you know, that doesn't sound like that's real. That's not helpful when <laughs> someone is you grieving. You just like tell a patient. <laughs> Yeah, like no hey there's something no. wrong with you no uh, that's not real no and the and we also wouldn't diagnose it as a delusion or a hallucination but like a visual hallucination would never i mean i can't say anyone ever would or has not historically but contemporarily it would it would be just considered part of bereavement and grief and loss and yeah and expected to probably become less frequent it can come in so many forms like in dream i've heard of people who've described it at daytime visions of a person that they lost and and again most of the time whether that person explains it as oh it you know it was comforting 
reporting to me or it was probably just a dream or they are like they visited me my job is to help them again make sense of it from what it feels like now and how it how it helps or helps them move through the grief process yeah so her seeing this apparition wasn't necessarily like unexplainable or unexplainable from what we know of grief what we know people who are grieving the loss of loved ones experience i think it's i don't know that it's common enough to say like this will happen when you're grieving or to say that it has to look like this because like i said it can it can look like many many different things like a person saying i thought i saw them and you know it just really felt really real or like they were driving a car and i know it wasn't them but it just you know a person who looked like them so many ways that when you're thinking about a person in the most intense emotional way that you can you probably will you know perceive them in other places in your life or your or you'll dream about them that's probably the most pragmatic explanation is that your your mind is constructing that and it may be the function might be to help you grieve it may just be part of it or it may just be like this is what you're thinking about a lot so you're gonna see it or see them but of course again we can't answer the question of like it's definitely not them it's not useful to even go down that road and we can't prove it or disprove it with science so well and in this case (coughs) well this is where this case is wild right in Uh this case we're talking about it actually going to trial yeah so there's going to have to be some testimony Mm -hmm. and we'll get into that in a little bit yeah and not that science definitely came into play uh, as far as well you'll find out but there is a bit of a distinction especially in the united states of science and law Mm-hmm. Because whenever you get up there on the stand, what do you do? The first thing you do is you swear in. And what do you swear on? Whatever your holy book is, right? Usually yeah. the Bible. Yeah. If you're an atheist, I don't know what you do. I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. That's making a distinction between like super what's considered paranormal and what's considered religion. And I'm not trying to make that distinction here. But I am saying that already within a court, you're already somewhat admitting that there is something else after you die. Right. Because if you're already swearing in on a Bible mm-hmm. and because you believe in God and you believe in heaven and hell, then aren't you already kind of saying like, well, now we believe that these things exist. So <laughs> a court of did, law. Yeah, that isn't I never really thought about that in terms of like a court of law under God under this. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but let's put but a pin, yeah. let's put a pin in that. because <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't even read the trial part <laughs> yeah. yet. And I have to say, like when I say that these kinds of visions of the loved ones we have lost are common cross culturally. That's like ancient thousands of years of and I only and that. So so that doesn't come from psychology. It comes from that there are the Tibetan Book of the Dead is about how to help right. family, how to help your loved one's spirits move on because you will see them or you will or even if you don't see them, they're around. It's fascinating. It's, right. it's and it's it is beautiful. The idea of that um, helping your loved ones move on also is helping us. Great. Absolutely. OK, mm-hmm. so are you ready to hear about the trial? Absolutely. That's good, because the next part of the story is labeled the trial. <laughs> These chapter titles are really important. Yeah, they are. Hey, well, you know, break it it up. The townspeople of Greenbrier whispered excitedly about the upcoming trial. It was the talk of the town, a story that had captivated everyone's attention. Trout Chu was accused of the murder of his wife, Zona. The case was unlike anything the town had ever seen, as the accusations stemmed from the ghostly visits of the deceased wife to her grieving mother, Mary Jane Hester. The courthouse was packed on the day the trial began curious onlookers craning their necks for a glimpse of the accused and the mother who had launched the investigation based upon otherworldly revelations. Local lawyer John Preston was appointed as the prosecutor, and despite his initial skepticism, he now stood firm in his pursuit of justice for Zona. The trial commenced with Preston presenting the autopsy findings, which showed evidence of a broken neck and finger-shaped bruises around Zona's throat. The townspeople gasped in horror as the gruesome details were laid bare. Preston then called a series of witnesses to testify about Trout's violent past, 
revealing his two previous marriages, one ending in divorce due to his abusive behavior and the other in the suspicious death of his wife. While in jail previously, it was reported that Trout had said that he wished to be married seven times to seven different women. As far as character witnesses went, this was pretty damning already but the townspeople and jury were waiting to hear Zona's mother's tale. At this point, everything they had heard about her story was gossip, and they wanted confirmation of what she had seen. Mary Jane Hester took the stand, her voice steady and her eyes filled with a mixture of sorrow and determination. She recounted the chilling visits from her daughter's ghost, detailing the horrifying truth of Zona's murder at the hands of her husband. Zona's spirit came to me four times, revealing the truth about her death. She told me that Trout strangled her in a fit of rage. She couldn't rest until her murderer had faced justice. The defense lawyer, eager to challenge Mary Jane's account, countered, uh, Mrs. Hester, isn't it possible that your grief caused you to imagine or dream these visits from your daughter? Perhaps this is all just a bit of hysteria that you may need to see Dr. Knapp about. I'm just a southern lawyer. I, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know what these big city people are talking about ghosts about. So the whiskey's kicking in, and that's kind of why they need the whiskey is <laughs> to do that voice specifically. <laughs> Mary Jane, with unwavering conviction, replied, It was not a dream. She came and told me that he was mad at her because she had no meat cooked for dinner. But that next night, she told me that her neck was strangled off at the joint, and it was just as she told me. So that was a direct quote. Uh, by the way. Okay, she said... I guess Trout got mad at her for not having meat in the dinner that she had prepared. Like, maybe she just made potatoes or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is like... Like, it's meat-free... The reasons <laughs> for killing your wife or spouse, like, they're just... What? No meat-free Mondays back then. Yeah. No. The courtroom hung on every word, her tale of the supernatural both captivating and terrifying. The defense, knowing the significance of Mary Jane's testimony, attempted to discredit her claims by emphasizing the lack of scientific basis for the existence of ghosts. They questioned her mental state, suggesting that grief had caused her to imagine the encounters with her daughter's spirit. However, the jury seemed to be more swayed by Mary Jane's unwavering conviction and the physical evidence that supported her story. <laughs> Good for them. As the trial continued, the tension in the courtroom was palpable. Those in attendance were torn between their rational minds and the deeply emotional testimony of a grieving mother who sought justice for her daughter. Whispers and murmurs filled the room as the people debated the credibility of the ghostly visits. In the end, the jury took one hour and ten minutes to deliberate. That sounds not very long. It doesn't. I think, th I think nowadays that's wildly short is it i don't know okay how i don't know if it's as as short like deliberations are longer now than they used to be is another way of saying that yeah i don't know uh -huh. i don't know what the average time is for that i think i think it's i don't know maybe either, we'll look it up yeah oh, mr presiding juror the judge said have you and your peers come to a verdict we have your honor we find the defendant guilty as charged. <laughs> Tell me about that juror. I want to okay. hear about that. Well, first juror. of all, you know they're all men, right? Because I don't think right. women could be jurors back then. Right. Uh, and second of all, I was running out of Southern accents to do. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that was good. Was that a Southern accent? That yeah. was great. I'm, okay. I'm just imitating you. All right. <laughs> Yeehaw. The combination of the autopsy findings, the testimony of Trout's violent past, and the haunting story of Zona's ghostly visits to her mother proved to be enough. They returned with a guilty verdict, sentencing Trout Chu to life in prison for the murder of his wife. 
Trout died of the flu three years later, into three years into his sentence. Oh. This trial went down in history to be known as the trial of the Greenbrier Ghost mm -hmm. would go down in history as one of the most unusual and fascinating cases ever seen. It was a tale of love, betrayal, and justice from beyond the grave, a story that would continue to captivate the imagination of generations to come. In the end, a mother's unwavering love and determination had triumphed, bringing closure to the tragic life of Elva Zona Hester Shu. Mm. With all of that being said, yeah, that was a very nice ending. However, there are some people who still don't know if this guy was guilty or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't say that we're... Okay, so... Okay, real quick. Ooh. Real quick, just to, just to close all this out. Mm -hmm. That is the only known case in U.S. history of a... I'm sorry, the only known U.S. murder trial in history where a ghost testimony was allowed to be submitted as evidence. Yeah. That's huge. And, I mean, a ghost testimony kind of makes it sound like they did EVP on the stand or something like that, but like that there was a ghost in the courtroom. It was the alleged hearsay, like accusations from a ghost. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. The distinction being that it was like through another person. So my bourbon mm -hmm. is almost fully drunk. <laughs> I'm feeling very good and I'm ready to hear more of what you have to say, Dr. Anna. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I, I, the first thing I think about is these lawyers, if they, they spent their time, my question is they spent, you said they spent most of their time, just their defense was based on the fact that there's no scientific evidence of ghosts being They real. were trying to discredit her testimony. That was the that was the one thing they were trying to discredit her testimony mm -hmm. on. I'm sure they had plenty of other stuff like the original uh, testimony of Dr. Knapp yeah. saying that, oh, this was, you know, she had a heart attack or she was pregnant or whatever. Right. Now that all ended up kind of falling through, right? Because once they did the full autopsy, they found out that, yeah. no, she'd actually been strangled to death. Yeah. I'm not sure if they found out if she was pregnant or not. That was something um, that I think the ghost, quote unquote, told her mother that Zona told her mother in ghost form was like, I wasn't pregnant. Like he lied about that. Oh. He just told Dr. Knapp that. And that's why he was like, but a man in grieving, you know, especially after losing somebody with a child, like a woman, your wife who uh, is with child, mm -hmm. like might act like that. So Dr. Knapp was just like, oh, he's just, you know, he's acting a little funny because mm -hmm. he just lost his wife and a child, you know, and a potential child. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that went, that went a little bit on a tangent, but I think there was that I think it was, you know, there was really no other evidence. Maybe there was like uh, the body had been exhumed in the dead of winter, mm -hmm. like things could have changed. Mm -hmm. Everything that they said about the science, you know, no scientific evidence for ghost, I think was just to discredit Mary Jane. Okay. Yeah. They're focused on her testimony being, right. the, being the key. Because again, you had a jury of your peers, sure, mm -hmm. but they were all men back then, right? So all they really had to prove, <laughs> honestly, all they really had to prove that no meat in your dinner was enough to murder your wife. <laughs> well, okay, that is surprising to me that that her testimony did sway them as much as it did. That that the defense wasn't able to discredit her sufficiently for a jury of men in the 1890s I, to be skeptical of of a, a woman in grief. Right, testifying. and I I think yeah. that her composure. Mm -hmm. speaks like goes to speak volumes about that mm -hmm. i have my own theories about this but i i really think that she was a very well like just like she was first of all an upstanding citizen right so like everybody knew who she was yeah. that was part that was part of it right the other part was even though she was a grieving mother and she did have some emotion on the on on the stand mm -hmm. she was so consistent with her story she was you know ready to basically bite back 
mm-hmm. at the at the pro at the uh, at the defense mm-hmm. and say no I, I I understand yes I am in grieving but no this was a visit from my daughter mm-hmm. and she told me she was murdered mm-hmm. not only did she tell me she was murdered she told me how and when we looked at the body we found exactly what she told us to look for yeah so I think that's also like I think the ghost was on trial a little bit or at least the ghost story was on trial and then finding those the, the evidence that the ghost said you were going to find mm-hmm. was it was there yeah. right so I was like oh okay the ghost was right yeah. regardless of whether she uh, was in grief or not that was right right yeah so whether you found it for the right wrong reasons like it doesn't matter okay yeah so not wrong reasons but <laughs> yeah so if if I'm this guy's defense lawyer I probably wouldn't be as focused on let's disprove or let's just continue to go on and on about how ghosts aren't real but you probably need a more reason like doubt about how she would have that knowledge like how would she is there any other way that she might have who she i'm sorry the how would have mary jane have the knowledge about the the neck being broken oh 100 that would be my focus on like let's drum up some other possible explanations for that that are not she got that information from a ghost and throw some out there what do you think i have a couple of thoughts on that yeah that's Mm -hmm. uh i'm not a lawyer so i don't know i don't know how else Mm -hmm. they could have kind of disproven this the other character witnesses were terrible too right like one of his old jailmates was like he told me he wanted to have seven wives (laughs) yeah so 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 that's a different route is and then also like Mm -hmm. he he had a past of of domestic abuse and you know that's you know obviously what's the what's the best predictor for um future behavior past behavior hey yeah. i'm learning from you yeah. <laughs> um I, I have my i have my own theories as to mary jane's story mm-hmm. and how she would have known that zora was strangled to begin with yeah that's that's what i yeah. would go down that path because going down that path leads you to uh she might have known he was abusive or yep. or and even if 100%. she didn't know even if she didn't know he was abusive if they've got testimony about that if that's you know character um you know characteristics that might be a piece and that's hard for a defense lawyer to say well we're going to say she knew that he was abusive because that doesn't work for the defense yeah right so you can poke holes in the ghost by saying oh there are other ways you knew he was abusive but then you're still painting him as a possible murderer do you see the catch 22 there yeah and if like if you poke holes in how could you've gotten that information from a ghost you're still agreeing that the autopsy that the that the that she died by her neck being broken right and how so how can the defense what can the defense do i feel like they were kind of stuck right uh, yeah no and because it, her it, neck was broken <laughs> i know it's almost like the prosecution didn't even need to have mary jane take the stage take the stand i mean yeah like they didn't even need her to tell it but i yeah. think they were like this is only going to strengthen things which is wild because um, that would not probably work today. Probably not, no. but it was the 1890s, so yeah. you know I don't want to say a highly religious Southern mm-hmm. state, mm-hmm. Um, which again West Virginia I'm pretty sure went with the North um, yeah. during the Civil War. So I think they consider themselves a Northern state, but still kind of that same coming from that same Bible Belt area where religion is 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 a big thing. Plus again 1890s in, in the United States. In so, the United States, yeah. yeah. So so for me, I felt like what would the defense do? You're still you're still painting the picture of him as a murderer. So as again, that it almost seems like there's the law part of it and what would you do to defend versus as a psychologist, what might be some other explanations for her happening upon what does look like evidence of a murder? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about let's say that Mary Jane truly believe she saw her daughter yeah. and her daughter told her these yeah. details diving into the psychological possibilities of it actually wasn't a ghost it was her 
you know, it was a dream or mm-hmm. it was a vis- even a vision, sure, you know, like a, a waking dream. Yeah, let's okay, let's yeah. take that total skeptical perspective and how might what might I think happen from that perspective? Okay, so possible scenario: her daughter was married to an abusive husband, and possibly she knew that he was abusive. And one hundred percent. Sorry, you have evidence. You, no, no, or no, no. You I'm agree sorry, with I'm me? Saying, I agree with you. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Are you holding <laughs> out on me on information? Um, okay, so possibly she knew her her daughter was with an abusive husband, and her daughter dies, and you mentioned the dress that her husband put her in yeah the high neck dress the high neck dress let's say that that's not that let's say well first of all he didn't even ask her mother to be involved doesn't sound like she was asked to be involved in the preparations for the funeral oh no he tried to keep everybody away that's another thing yeah i didn't i didn't talk about the part of preparing for the funeral he was kind of the same way yeah he like he took care of all the Mm -hmm. he wouldn't let anybody like when there was the viewing because he had the viewing if anybody stood around for he like stood by the um the casket the entire time mm-hmm. and he wouldn't let anybody go near it yeah and like if anybody's lingered mm-hmm. for too long he would like dive over the body and start crying like you know wow. acting like he was or maybe not acting maybe he was you know grieving i don't want to it's pretty yeah. difficult <laughs> going we're going down the road of a true crime podcast here for a little bit but yeah that profile of the overly emotive partner um is suspicious for especially for men who are socialized to not show as many emotions not to say that they can't but that is something that's like suspicious of the overly emotive and overly protective like secretive so anyway let's that aside say you're the mother and you aren't being not only was your daughter's husband abusive you're now being kept from being involved in the funeral process which is a really difficult thing to be kept from when you're a parent grieving your child and you can't be involved in that that's really upsetting and disturbing and also gonna probably make you suspicious of your son-in-law on top of that and let's say again go in more detail what if the dress he chose she's like that's not the dress that's not a, she never wore anything like that or that's not the dress that I would have right. chosen for her or like why would he put her in that dress maybe that was really that pointed her toward the neck what happened what's he covering up all of these circumstances of point to what is he covering up her not being allowed in the process and maybe the dress itself maybe those mm. things are in her mind as or maybe maybe she had some knowledge that he had choked her before mm. you know choking okay. is not a out of the blue behavior well no he he i think he well he uh oh, domestically abused his first wife I think. yeah yeah there's a divorce yeah and then he was in jail for something it might have been domestic abuse or yeah. it might have been you know choking somebody yeah. or whatever that might be his his thing yeah but how, do we did they have any i don't know how good forensics were then of like how was her neck broken was it choking or strangulation uh, they, could, they or, could tell that she died uh, by strangulation mm-hmm. i think her wind, with an wind object pipe had been crushed no and then there were there were fingerprint marks on her mm. neck wow yeah how re- so pretty i said that i'm i'm Sorry. <laughs> you know, you, I constantly miss things. It's for the benefit of the listener. I was talking li- in a southern drawl, so maybe <laughs> I was you just didn't understand. probably laughing me. my head off. Um, it's for the benefit of the listener that I ask silly little questions no, 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 about I things know, I, I sh- clearly should have heard, just so you guys don't have to listen again. That's why I do that, right? Uh, <laughs> so. And I'm almost finished with my bourbon. <laughs> so I'm feeling good. Anyway. Yeah, all those pieces, that that for me is the line of like, she might have suspected murder, she might have suspected strangulation, she right. might have a lot of, she might have had a lot of reasons to suspect those things. And then she's also grieving and we are, we are, it is not unheard of to have visions or dreams of the people that we've lost. So add all of those things up, her mind might have given her these images of her daughter that then confirmed what she'd already suspected yeah. about him. And she was right based yeah. on the forensic evidence. Based upon 
on previous behavior of this man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I can say right is still perhaps not beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, and that, right. so again, I'm talking about yeah. the psychology side of it. And like here, there yeah. might be reasonable explanations for her experiencing this. And then is that going to hold up in court? <laughs> yeah. Apparently it did. It yeah. did. Mm -hmm. It held up in court. And I actually went, I, I did a deep dive into U.S. law and what other supernatural um, mm -hmm. occurrences have swayed juries or just mm -hmm. cases, you know, even for civil lawsuits. Um, I found a few. Mm -hmm. And I was actually going to talk about them on, on this episode, but I was like, eh, you know what? Some of these are pretty good. Maybe we want to make a complete episode about them. So we'll we'll go back into that and we'll, we'll revisit those separately. But while th there have been other cases that have used supernatural reasons for a ruling. This is the only murder trial in which, you know, because usually if, uh, if, if nowadays, if, if I got, you know, if somebody got up there and was like, I'm going to tell you about this, you know, this ghost visited me and told me these things, the judge would be like, the jury needs to strike that court recorder, erase everything that man just said. <laughs> like it would be like play, bailiff, please escort this man off this, off the premise. It would not, it would be very no nonsense, uh, uh, you know, like, even if they did that, if the prosecution took the, took the huge chance to put someone like that on the stand, the defense would already have an expert witness ready to refute everything they said, much like they tried in this trial to do. Yeah. And and again, the prosecution, a state prosecution at this point probably would not include any of that. In fact, they would interview the person better, probably have a psychologist interview interview her. And Were there psychologists in the 1890s? Um, there were not what we know of as psychologists today. Um, there were psychology, like... <laughs> I know. What were they like wizards or like what? <laughs> what were they called? This, like, the history of psychology is is an interesting branch, kind of because it, it's so much more academic. So you would have philosophy, like psychology is really rooted more in philosophy. Um, but you definitely had psychiatrists, neurologists, and yeah. psychoanalysts, and yeah, they were around for sure. Okay, working in their institutions and doing their thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, I, and, and this is Greenbrier, West Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Not that there's not uh, universities, mm -hmm. you know, that they could have gone to and, and gotten uh, expert testimony or, you know, mm -hmm. um, someone to analyze the situation as such. But I also think that maybe they thought that this would be such an easy, first of all, all you have to do is discredit a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay. Check in the 1890s. And not only that, but you need to discredit a woman grieving. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's one thing right there. And then you need to discredit a woman who's grieving who's claiming she's seeing ghosts. Yeah. And so I think they just they probably were very, you know, old good old southern boys who were just like she's, we're going to we're going to mm -hmm. bring this woman down. It's going to be so easy. We're going to bring her down. It's mm -hmm. going to be no issues. Like Did they, I, and they didn't bring in they didn't bring in a psychiatrist or you know. not, not that I saw again. I mm -hmm. couldn't find the court records online, yeah. which means you probably just have to yeah. go to the court or a sorry. Get them. All they would take is one physician saying she's got hysteria. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah just one person right but, but, again, but it, none of that refutes the neck the broken right, neck the because broken and so the jury the... might have been like maybe they didn't believe or didn't say we we even need the ghost part of the story the other weird thing is like the dr nat dude who they're like this guy he, he said it was this but i'm pretty sure he's probably the one who did the autopsy too because like, that's only, what i was gonna ask there's you, only so one who... doctor in this town right <laughs> so, so it's like yeah had she even been buried? You said exhumed or? Yeah, they okay, had to exhumed they, they the body exhumed, yeah. Yeah. in the dead of winter too, which in West Virginia isn't super cold, but it, it you know, it's, and it's down there. still had marks on her neck? Yeah. Okay. Bruises That's on her neck, finger shaped, 
bruises on her that neck. Is, wow. Mm-hmm. Which can be done posthumously. There are, because mm. we, we all watch CSI, so we all know these things, yeah. right? Yeah. There could be a whole other side of the story that was a mass, massive conspiracy <laughs> against cons- Trout. Right, against uh. Aramis, shuttle, Shuttleface, Shibbly. Trout. <laughs> Snibbling it, yeah. Trout. Ogins, Mr. Aramis, yeah. Trout, Shrew. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's another thing is like, we still don't know whether this guy was guilty or not, right? But... No, but he was found. Time. He was found guilty by a jury of right. his peers. Oh, sorry. Yes, so he was found guilty. Yes, he was. Um, that is, that is the law. law. That is the law. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. What do you think happened? I don't have an. I, okay. No, let, put it all aside. It's okay. Like yeah. No, no I think the, nothing the, you're about to hear is any kind of psychological advice. <laughs> of course from, not. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 no, that, no. I mean, it's, not, it's not even connected to that. But yeah, I think the portrait that I painted of a, of a not just a grieving mother who wants to believe that her daughter was murdered, but who had some reason to believe that. I do think yeah. that. Um, it she seems... didn't trust him to begin with. She didn't like him. Oh, okay. She didn't. I don't know if you remember that part of the story at the very beginning. I was like, every, they were married in love, but her mom did not approve of the oh, marriage. Yes. She did not like okay. this guy. Sorry, you did paint. You did say that piece. So like, yeah, yeah she, well, and that doesn't, why? I want to, I want to, I want to hear what women weren't talking about in 1890 yeah. or were not free. Yeah. They were talking, but they were not, it was not documented or free to be talked about with anybody other than women. It was the abuse that might've been going on or why she didn't like him. It might have been he's divorced. It might have been as simple as she didn't like the guy because he's divorced. Her daughter had a, had a child, according to some accounts. So her daughter was, again, outside. Mm-hmm. She was, I, I said she was an oddity. Yeah, like, I, think, I think she was kind of like, strange. no, no, no. I know. It's not yeah. strange nowadays, but in the 1890s for a single She was an outsider. She was an that, outsider. Yeah, right. Yeah. She was. Much um, like paranormal outsiders. <laughs> So maybe she was hoping to be made the ter- the language they would have might have used like legitimize her and her son to yeah. get married to someone anyone right. who would and take her. That's actually one thing that I so from some accounts I read she had a child and then other accounts I read she didn't and yeah. I almost think that she didn't because they didn't mention it in the court you know, like it would have it definitely would have been a thing in court proceedings like this woman with her bastard child yeah. you know like why would you believe her over mm-hmm. you know who, Dr. Knapp yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Or whoever yeah. whoever they were saying like I almost feel like they uh, they would have mentioned that that would have been a much more prominent part of the story yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's, it, I'm sure you could find out. I did find, there's plenty of pictures of Zona and mm-hmm. Trout. Mm-hmm. I, I, Erasmus. Erasmus. Yeah. Uh, I go back to, so, okay. So um, I, we're focused, you asked me what happened and I focused on the accuser when really the question what happened is. I, I asked you what you believe. What happened. I believe happened. Yeah. yeah. And I focused on her. And I think that that's, that's so interesting because that's what we often do is like, oh, this is why this person accuses this other person. But motive for accusing isn't nearly as important for have a motive for murder. So I don't know what his motive. He didn't tell me that there was marital issue. There were no meat with his potatoes for dinner that <laughs> right, evening. Right. That was the motive. I don't know if you yeah. heard me correctly, Miss Anna. <laughs> However, in 1890, although that may be a misdemeanor nowadays in 1890 yeah. West Virginia, uh-huh. that was a very serious offense. Yeah, and a, and a history of violence substantiated by more than just one person. Yeah. yeah. No, I think they had three or four yeah. people on there. So that's um, really one was important. one of his old cellmates, which again, I think using criminal testimony, especially back then for like as a character witness, I don't know if that's even allowed anymore. That's a really interesting point because yeah. uh, I, I have learned that at least in some states you can you can't use previous crimes or care like anything like that as in character defamation mm. of a defense defendant 
it's, it is interesting. It is. Well, because if they've been released and they're back in society, then they are technically a reformed, yeah. reformed person, yeah. right? So it's a reformed whatever. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, it does, it. Yeah. I can see arguments. I can see arguments either way. And I've right. heard cases where I'm like, whoa. Because again, as a psychologist, if you brought me in as an expert witness, how am I supposed to then not take a psychosocial history on a person and then give you my input on who they are yeah. that I can't, I can't disregard a criminal history. So talk about that. Is that let's talk about trout? Yeah. Not the fish. Let's talk about this guy. About snibbling trout. Snibbling, snibbling trout. (laughs) True, man. What? First of all, he he told that other inmate he wanted to have seven wives, right? Yeah, he said some whatever. Man, the dude wants to play around. Like it's not that big of a deal. Back then, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, He had been divorced once, and then he had. I I think the second marriage they mentioned was the one where he was thrown in prison because he had domestically abused her. What's the proper term for that? Abused. She had abused. He had abused her. Mm-hmm. So there was abuse. There was, you know, motive that he, you know, was uh, possibly trying to collect. That's my question. Isn't just, yeah. I want to have seven wives. Like, are you trying to be like a Henry VIII kind of situation? Right. Like, what what does that mean to this yeah. person? Do you just want to do it with seven women? And like, back then, that's how you said it? Like, or or do you want context. to have a, a, yeah, a trail of deceased spouses? What's that about? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but he didn't kill the first one. He just divorced her. So yeah, just like Henry VIII. Uh, I'm sure. He, just like Henry I'm sure he abused VIII. her as well. Was like yeah. that was just kind of, mm-hmm. which was the style at the time. Um, <laughs> I I know it's terrible. I'm not. I mean, I'm really not trying to make light of it or laugh at it. But it it's just so evident. I think in this case that this guy was just so abusive. Is that that's yeah that's I, I think evident. it's I think it's yeah. evident. Like I mm-hmm. think it's just it glaring. Okay, and and so like taking the testimony the character testimony so real quick what not to not to butt in but what i Mm -hmm. think happened Mm -hmm. i don't think mary jane saw a ghost at all i don't think she for one second believes in ghosts i think she was an incredibly intelligent woman and i think she knew that if she went to somebody and just said i'm pretty sure this guy beat my daughter because he had beaten all these other women at the time she would have been disregarded that wouldn't have been enough so what That's she did wild. was concocted yeah. this story mm-hmm. of how she saw this ghost of, and she knew the composure she had to have. She knew the role she had to play yeah. in order to put this asshole behind bars. Yeah. And I think that's, and I think she played, played in a good way. Yeah. I think she played everyone like a fiddle mm-hmm. and she just knew what women's roles in society were at the time mm-hmm. and how she could manipulate and how she could go about and, and get the job done and get justice. That's fascinating. I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. I really like, I, after reading all these stories, I'm like, she knew what she was doing. <gasps> she knew, she knew, she and- knew, she knew she had to go to that lawyer. She knew she, she knew Dr. Knapp was probably a fucking drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's in there like, oh, uh, I guess I don't have to look at this body 100 percent. Do you have any gin in the house? You know, (laughs) like she probably knew the she knew the community. Mm hmm. And I think she just knew how to how to get justice. That's amazing. Uh, I'd like to believe that. I like uh, like, that's a that would be. Gosh, that would make a really great screenplay where at the end, and that would be just how it's written, like where at the end she's, she reveals that she made that all up to get the justice that she wouldn't have gotten otherwise. I think that's a really old English story, like a short story. Oh, maybe she read, how old? Is it older than this? That's <laughs> she a read question. a lot? Did she I'm trying to library? remember the name of the story. I need to, I'll look oh, it up and I'll, I'll, up. I'll insert it right oh, here. Yeah. Hey everybody, Dustin from the future here again to tell you that the name of the story I was thinking of is a short story by Agatha Christie called The Witness for the Prosecution, first published in 1925. 
Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah, welcome back. Um, anyway. So, so I, that is, you know, and I think that's where socio-historical context is so important. Yeah. And thinking about that, I, I mean, I like that's in a very appealing and explanation. It speaks to what the jurors needed to hear. And then when you said that her story stayed so consistent. Yeah. And I've talked about, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but didn't really go into it, how story staying consistent is really important in legal contexts, but it's not, it's increasingly becoming not as important in contexts where we understand how memory works. Yeah. Where we have a better understanding that memory is fallible, as I've talked about, but that even when things are true, and I will have to look this up and put in the show notes the psychologist who's studying this when people are telling their stories over time he did these long-term interviews and he got um interview after interview of people telling their narratives of stories of things they've gone through they change because when we pull up a story a narrative not a story but like a, a narrative of something we've been through it's being influenced by context every time we tell it. So our mood at the time, our associations at the time, and different parts of our brain might like fire. And we paint different pictures each time, not of the like basic facts. That's what he found. Like the basic facts will stay the same, but some details will vary. That's really interesting because you always see how prosecutors, defenders, they'll always be like, this person's story hasn't changed one bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's supposed to lead some cre credence that's, to yeah. towards the truth. Or that's towards yeah. that they're telling the truth yeah and this researcher talks about how detector. you actually might you we might then be putting more credence to people who are really really good at rehearsing yeah and telling a story the same way every time because they've had to memorize it right and have eliminated or have really tried to eliminate context it's like it's like an actor versus a performer and, the, and imagine trying to tell the truth repeatedly about visions you had at night yeah or or what you know might be dreams seeing your dead daughter in a way that is horrifying yeah right like that first night yeah. and I, I again i did editorialize it a little bit mm -hmm. but it it's still like I, even you know in the 1890s it, it, they didn't have horror movies back then no. so like we we're kind of desensitized to it it's like you know i i to give you a little bit of information about myself i do have nightmares a lot i don't know if it's more than common or not uh, i have nightmares probably once it used to be once every night. It's kind of slowed down as I've gotten a little bit older. But like I'm desensitized to it. I think to us as a society, that's very normalized. But in 1890, for your like dead, dead loved ones to be visiting you and coherently telling you about how they're, you know, that's a that was a big thing. That was it might have been like a big deal mm -hmm. to them. Maybe that was a little bit like going to the movies and watch. You know, obviously the townspeople were showing up. You know, probably like eating popcorn up at the oh top, gosh, cranning yeah. their neck, like what's gonna happen next and what's this prosecuting attorney gonna do and what's gonna happen. You know. Mm -hmm. They were just, they were ready to hear a story, mm -hmm. right? And this was a story. Oh, yeah. And to me, again, the fact- We still do that now. No, oh, I, just, I agree. <laughs> law, yeah, yeah. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow's defense or oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's all a show. But I think back then, this was a show on par with what we would see today. Mm -hmm. This woman brought this story and it was so incredible, so amazing, and so captivating. Mm-hmm. That it got everybody in town to go and and watch this trial yeah. and everybody not only that but everybody to believe her mm -hmm. 
Wow. Which I think is just amazing. I, I, I'm I like so in awe of this woman from the 1890s. <laughs> and, I'm, yeah. Cow. And even I'm if it, you're trying to like podcast like <laughs> a bunch of people, like basically retelling her story still. Yeah. I'm still talking about her story. We're yeah. still talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing. And, and it's horrible because it's a presentation of who we are as a society mm-hmm. that she had to do these things in order to get noticed or in order to get enough attention to get justice for her daughter or what she believed happened to her daughter. Mm-hmm. But how she did it was just so masterful it's i uh, that's as far as i can go with it I, yeah. i'm just in awe that's great yeah mm-hmm. i love this story <laughs> it's, i think it was it's amazing. so good it is it's really amazing I, I do i you can't replicate this i'm almost speechless when i think about it because it does touch on so many of those pieces it touches on the paranormal yeah. it touches on the law it touches on society and again historical context that you just you had to be there yeah <laughs> you had he, to be there except for <clears throat> her neck was broken that's that's amazing no and this 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 poor young woman had to die and that speaks a lot to women what women's lives were worth and what you could you could try to get away with and maybe he had already before yeah Mm -hmm. oh 100 Mm percent so so some of the things i sent you to kind of research on let's talk about women in the 1890s let's talk about how they were treated by society how they were treated by let's talk about hysteria first of all like hit the 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 term hysteria yeah um where that comes from um and and I don't if you want to talk about that I'd love to hear it I think it's important to kind of just maybe maybe we should have done this at the beginning they set <laughs> what, what what hysteria is and what you know where, well did where they actually kind of, accuse her of that they did try to discredit I her mean, by yeah. saying that she was just a grieving woman right okay. you know and and whether so a grieving woman is prone to hysterics right that might be the oh, kind is, of is hysterics is that a word um, yeah yeah no absolutely and the question then becomes you know if it were a man if it were her father who was like I saw Zona's ghost would that have even been a question no they certainly wouldn't have said hysteria i think no. a lot of people don't realize yeah. that now it's no longer a valid term in psychology there's no diagnosis of this or even it's not even used as an adjective to describe anyone's behavior because it was uniquely to describe the psychological dysfunction of a woman is rooted in her biology as a woman that the uterus w- must be if a woman's experiencing something emotionally distressing it must be because something's wrong with her lady parts her womb um, <laughs> the, w- there was even parts. like wandering womb and this goes back to Jesus. ancient greece like this is this is not a it, this term is hundreds yeah. of years yeah um, as old as Hippocrates as old himself. as yeah as old as the patriarchy can even date back to but so that diagnosis was then later solidified in the Stricken books the of record. psychiatry yeah. and and used frequently for for women who who and then in at this in this era women weren't free uh in all the ways that we might have thought they would be by then no they couldn't um, vote no they still cannot vote in the united states in some states i, I did look this up because i was curious in some states they could run for public office so mm-hmm. I don't know if that means, like, I don't know what that means, like secretary or mayor, probably not mayor, but city council, city council, that would be maybe interesting if yeah. you could run for an office that you couldn't vote for yourself in, in. in two states. I noticed that okay. that was passed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> that's, well, not, um, that's not a lot. Yeah, it's a lot less than 50 or at the time. 30 however many we had state government has has is a patchwork and it has always been and that is that is where federal law is important (laughs) for things like equality so yeah and something to note that in this era in most states being married was a unification becoming one person but that one person you were becoming was the husband yeah 
that it, so that became an institution of of less freedoms, mm-hmm. um, where you could be hospitalized by your husband, you could be in, you know uh, very easily sent to a psychiatric institution, yeah. um, just because the husband requested that you could be. Um, mm. And that you, yeah, we talked a little bit about a, a really interesting case of Elizabeth Packard, who was admitted to a psychiatric institution at simply at the request of her husband because they had differences on religious opinion. And she was freed, but then he imprisoned her in their home and she got a letter out. And then that went to trial. And passerby found this note that she'd thrown out the window Help me, my husband's keeping me in prison in yeah. the house. And she was freed because they interviewed her and she was clearly of sound mind. And, and there's also, it's an interesting to me that you would even have to find out if you're of sound mind for it to be not okay right. for your husband to imprison you in the house. Yeah. How, uh, what year was this? This was eight. 2022. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so laughable. It's terrible. Um, this was around the same era, I believe. I okay. think it was the 1890s also okay. in Illinois. So, right. and she went on to advocate for for psychiatric patients mm. because mm-hmm. she met a lot of women who were in the same situation and, and saw the conditions, experienced those conditions. So, yeah, okay, wild history, wild history. Mm-hmm. And I've used that word wild many times because I'm avoiding the word crazy <laughs> because right. it is. I mean, things that are that just don't make any sense that that just shouldn't be the way they are have been that way many many years. Right, yeah. and this is one of those things, and I think that. That, uh, I think Mary Jane could read the tea leaves. Let's just put it that way mm-hmm. to use an older term. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just knew what she could say in order to get the justice that her daughter needed. And so the, again, that's a really interesting. And even theory. even if even if he didn't kill her, he mm-hmm. had abused her. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Put him behind bars, and and that's that's that. Ultimately, he only served three years. Right. Yeah. Which is a way he actually died it. during a pandemic, which is mm-hmm. another interesting thing because oh. we have all been through a pandemic now, so mm-hmm. we all know what that means. But in the jail he was he was in, he actually had died of like the I don't know if it was the Spanish flu, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think that had that was nineteen eighteen, I think. So yeah. this would have been uh, a decade and or so before. So yeah, arguably something he might have had a better chance of surviving if he wasn't in prison. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could have gotten a, a doctor. Um, not Dr. Knapp though. That guy was, he was like, I guess she's pregnant. I don't know. <laughs> she has this fainting heart yeah. disease or whatever the hell it's called. And like, he, this guy's just making up terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So good history to look into so many, so many stories like this, that not like this in terms of the ghost no, testimony, the yeah. but in terms of women's experiences yeah. in America and yeah. I just thought this one was so cool. I mm-hmm. thought it was um, not <laughs> that somebody died, obviously. I don't want that. But I think that, you know, the trial that ensued and, and that it was an acceptable thing to say that a ghost, the testimony of a ghost was used at a trial to bring a wife, a domestic a, abuser yes. to justice. Yeah. Yeah. And a perpetrator of domestic abuse. Yeah. A perpetrator domestic of domestic violence. Domestic violence yeah. to justice. Mm-hmm. So thanks for the story. Yeah. Yeah. Any last words? Well, I'm just a... I'm just flabbergasted. Uh, apparently, Mizana has a kiss I'm of the just, vapors I'm right just, now. You've taken my breath away, sir. So. Uh, well, very good, very good. Well, thank you for tuning in again for, and I will use that word, tune in, because here we are. It is the 1890s, <laughs> and the radio has just been invented by Alexander Graham Bell. Here we go, back into your domain. Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Marconi, Mr. Marconi mm-hmm. and his fancy radio machine. No, thank you everybody for listening in again. If you have any questions for us, if you want us to look into any of your stories or any stories from your neck of the woods, please reach out to us. Stories at 
paranormaloutsiders.com. Send us an email or on Twitter. It's in the show notes. Check it out. We love to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks.